0: We have a podcasting legend with us today, Rob Moore. And it was so funny because when I started looking at his bio and I saw the number of tags around author, podcaster, entrepreneur, property investor, philanthropist, I was like, this man is wearing so many hats and crushed it in every venture that he was going into. And more particularly I looked at his Disruptor's podcast which if you're not subscribed yet, yeah, I'm a little biased, you should watch my show first, but he's a very close second and quite frankly really up there. I look up to him. I've seen the guests he does and I love how he asks powerful questions. So we're going to talk more about how to ask powerful questions, not just in ways that you interview people, but also in sales. And one thing I thought very very interesting is the fact that the philanthropy, the giving back is a huge piece of his business ventures. There's so much that we're going to be able to Pack as I bring the legend Rob Moore with me. I've asked this question before with some others um, that have had some success, and we were trying to understand where's the point where you stop chasing the money and the mission becomes more important. And I'd be curious to know because I don't think it's just the money that motivates someone to do everything that you've done. There's a bigger purpose, there's a bigger why. And I'm wondering if on your journey there was a specific moment that you were like Okay, now it's more about the why than just trying to find freedom from the money.
1: Yeah, so um, I believe if we look deep into natural laws, um, we find that everything exists in a paradox with equal upside and downside. And and what humans do when we create human laws, because natural laws you can't break. You can't break the law of gravity. You jump out of a building, and so you're not going to be able to break that law with you know your mindset. Whereas human laws, we're always breaking them and manipulating them and changing them based on. I saw you know the the, the law of the debt ceiling in the U.S. was broken. What defines a recession is broken. So I try to observe natural laws, not human laws, because natural laws, you know, you get the reward when you follow the law and you can't break them. So when it comes to money. Um, It is wise to be equally selfish and selfless, and it is wise to chase the mission and the money. And what I mean by that is if you don't chase the money as an entrepreneur, you have a very expensive hobby. And how are you gonna fund that? You know, I I like golf, I'm never gonna be a pro, um, but you know, playing golf is expensive, taking five hours to play around, a set of Callaway epics now is what, $2,000. So if you don't chase the money, you have a really expensive hobby, but people don't want to give you money if you're chasing money, they want to see that you're on a mission. So um, if you're in debt, you probably need to be focused personally and for your family and you need to chase the money. But then when you become a millionaire, you know, maybe you need to expand the mission so that people can buy into the mission because people don't wanna make you more rich. People want to give you money for their own selfish needs. In my new book, Matrix, which comes out in 2024, I write about the four levels of of wealth, financial stability, security, freedom, and opulence. And to become financially stable, which means to get out of debt, you have got to chase the money because, obviously you've not been very good at it to get yourself into debt and it's okay to be selfish to get yourself out of debt and pay yourself first and these other important rules of money and what i found was once my personal needs were met i had a yearning and a calling to meet the needs of my family my community my organization my country and now i have a calling to meet the needs of the globe uh, and my personal vision is to help as many people on this planet get better financial knowledge. And um, this is what drives the mission, um, which is writing a load of books on money and, you know, doing, uh, I'm probably doing 15 interviews a week now and interviewing all the great guests on the show. That all being said, because I've been doing this nearly 20 years, Jason, I like watches. And I said to my wife that... um I feel the yearning for earning money so I can buy some more watches. So so I think it's wise to be selfish and selfless equally um, and chase the mission and the money because the money isn't the purpose of a company or an organization. The purpose of the company and the organization is to serve its people, is to create a product or service and. And, and make the lives of a demographic easier, faster, better. So the purpose is the mission, but the reward is the money. However, if a shareholder wants to buy into your business um, or you're doing your end of year accounts, you know, you have to be focused on the bottom line. So you, you, you focus on the mission to grow the business and to communicate with your ideal client, how you can help them, that's your external focus. But your internal focus, if it's not on the bottom line and it's just on the top line, you'll have growth, but you won't have profit. Um, and if it's not on the top line, your sales will slow. So uh, I know social media, Jason, sort of encourages at the moment, this is right and this is wrong. And But, but actually, when you look at any subject deep enough, you need context before content um, and usually the answer is both, not either or.
0: I like that we're not talking
1: about blacks and whites here because yeah, I think the nuance
0: of all information is maybe the biggest uh, problem that we see in any kind of advice, whether that's sales advice, productivity, money, finance. And, and I'd be curious to know from your perspective, and it sounds like your upcoming book is gonna be answering this more in depth. When it comes to you know money, finances, Do you feel like one context in particular is usually missing from any advice that gets thrown that might lead people in the wrong direction?
1: Yeah. Well, there's always a mismatch of context in any given scenario of information exchange. And that is the context of my life versus Jason's life. So I know my life so I can give you my experience based on the context of my life, but I don't know Jason and Jason's life and I don't know the context of his life to be able to give information that serves him because what worked for me might not work for Jason. So um, I I hope that doesn't overcomplicate anyone's desire to ask a question because at the end of the day, the context is gonna be closest when you ask people answers to questions who are where you want to be. So if someone's a millionaire or a billionaire and you're a 0 air. Um, and you're nearly there and you want to get there, then asking the millionaire or the billionaire, they've probably got the right kind of context for you because they're where you want to be. So to simplify the question, I would say, find people who are where you want to be because their context will be the most similar to you. For example, I've written a section in my book. I'll actually read it out to you if I can dig it out because it's, it's a context-based answer. People always ask me, Rob, you know, I've got money to invest. Um, Where should I invest it? And that question is very context dependent. So let's see if I can dig it out. I'm I'm actually on the last chapter. It might take me a minute. A world exclusive. We're getting a sneak peek of the upcoming material. You are going to get a world exclusive. Here we go. So yeah, I get asked thousands of times, where should I invest my money? But it depends on number one, your age. If you're 18 versus 65, that's gonna be a different place. Your attitude to risk, You know how many times have you failed before? How much are you prepared to lose? The capital amount you have, if you've got a thousand or if you've got a million, that's a completely different answer. The percentage of your net worth um, that you want to invest, whether you're defensive or aggressive, how long you want the capital deployed before you want it back, your existing knowledge or experience in any other asset class. Do you want capital, equity or income? Do you want fully passive or do you have time to invest? Is it personal money you're investing, i.e. tax paid or company money pre-tax? That's a big um, caveat context. Do you want dual use? So I invest in watches, but I get the dual use of wearing and enjoying them. I don't get a dual use in my stock portfolio. It's just an investment. Um, Tax breaks, you know, what are the tax breaks available in the um, investment? What location are you investing in, especially in real estate? And then what stages of my four Ms are you in, in terms of making, managing, multiplying, or maintaining money? So this is maybe why um, I'm better at long form content than short form content. Because if someone said, how do I invest? That's not gonna be good for a TikTok video or an Instagram story. But if you ask yourself those 14 questions, you're probably going to answer the question yourself better than I could a- answer the question for you, because again, it's context-related. But you're better off asking someone like me, you know, who has I've done over two hundred million in sales in the last seventeen years, than someone who's broke.
0: It's a good start, and especially with the TikTok era, there's a lot of financial gurus popping up with those fourteen seconds infomercials <laughs> about how everything should works in such a simple way. You just look at, the, look at the candles. When they're green, you invest. And it's like, <laughs> hold on a second. Um, so I'm glad that you're actually bringing up that nuance. And it sounds like your book's really going to go into the things we need to ask ourselves before we make those kinds of decisions. So wow, you've made a whole lot of sales in your career. And you've went in so many different industries. And I'd just be curious to know, like you were in the property game and I believe that's mostly where you started a lot of your sales and a lot of the the work that you did that got you to this financial success. but. You started going into media, like you're running this podcast, and this is a huge podcast, and I'm just curious like what was that decision making point where you could decide to be super focused and being like the real estate guy and that's what you do to just now being someone who's also a media, you're an author, and you' really expanded in a lot of things that you know you could think, wow, that seems like a you know a diversification of your expertise when you could
1: have chosen one path. I'd just be curious to know what your thought process around that was um there's a few. And some of them were things I learned along the way that I would never have known before I start. Um, So this is why I wrote my book, Start Now, Get Perfect Later, because so many people are waiting to be perfect before they start. They don't get going. Um, And often where you end up is not where you thought you would end up. But you only get there when you have momentum through movement. I'm not going to sound all smart that I had it all planned out. Though what I will say is this, Jason, and it goes back to our mission versus money question. The first question you asked property is the money, but it's not the mission. And when I started in property, I was broke. I was 50 grand in debt and I wanted to get out of debt. And, you know, it seemed that all the successful rich people were in property. So it seemed like a logical place to start. Uh, I didn't really know how, but I knew that there was a deep why. Um, And I got into property and got myself out of debt and made my first hundred grand. And then I made my first million by age 31. But by that time, I realized that dealing with tenants and boilers, you you know, and lawyers and construction workers, that wasn't the mission, but it made the money. And, you know, I think where a lot of people, suffer or or don't succeed is that clash of mission and money. And sometimes they follow the mission, but there's no money. And sometimes they follow the money, but there's no mission. So I'm at the point now, let's say four years into the journey where I've become a millionaire and property is making me those millions in multiple streams of income. But there's a, a greater calling and a greater mission that's unfolded itself, which I didn't know when I started, Jason and that was financial education so um, you know i feel frustrated that they didn't teach me what i now know about money in school i don't think that so many people need to be as broken as poor as they are but i think that the system hides good financial education from them and i also realized that i don't particularly like dealing with tenants and boilers and construction but I love teaching, training and educating and sharing you know, the message about money, especially as in the UK, there's such a social faux pas um, around talking about money openly. It's like it makes you, I mean, even in religious dogma, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's just through society in, in the UK and people have often said to me, Rob, you're more like an American than an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't and, going to I, say it but you did. <laughs> thank you. So I, I you know I've learned most of the good stuff I've learned from on money and mindset is from my American friends and peers. My style is maybe more American than English and I, I guess I, I live an American dream in in England. So I, that, I guess that makes me a little bit different in the UK because I think we need some of that American entrepreneurial American dream influence in the UK what I found it along my journey is I love the money that property makes but it doesn't um, fill the soul what does fill the soul is at a higher level money and entrepreneurship um, but property is a key component of that so what I did was I started to branch out without turning my back on what had made me my millions so um, I write about this concept called cross-stream leverage. And uh, look, I, I don't proclaim to have all the answers, but there are some nuances I've learned, which I think can make a real difference to, to listeners who, who want to be entrepreneurs and want to build multiple streams of income. And when you start and you you think of the idea of multiple streams of income, maybe you think about unrelated business models, or maybe you think about starting five businesses in one go. The problem with starting five businesses in one go is you become a master of none. Um, And the problem of five unrelated business models is you gotta learn five unrelated business models. You don't do five degrees at once. You only do one degree at college or university. But cross-stream leverage is where you get good at one vocation and you create multiple streams of income from that one vocation. And this is the technical difference. So I got good at real estate. I'm good at buying real estate for myself. I'm good at selling it to others. I'm good at writing books on it. I'm good at running courses on it. I'm good at building management companies on it. I'm good at building, good at developing, converting. And so I've created maybe eight or nine different income streams from real estate. And so when I realized that real estate gave me the money, but not the, the mission, I focused on mission. But within, still within the realm of real estate, which to me, real estate is business. So I was able to stay without turning my back on it because I realized it's just business. That's the story of um, mixing the mission and the money and growing and evolving and creating multiple streams of income. And importantly, um, knowing thyself. So my business partner loves the um, is it mnemonic focus, follow one course until successful. Whereas I love variety. Variety is one of if not my, variety and growth are my two almost highest personal human needs. We focus in real estate, but I get my variety needs met by doing podcasts and writing books and doing interviews and having a YouTube channel and creating multiple streams of income from the one class.
0: I like that. And you know, there's a part of me that thinks, when you found that one skill that you've mastered and it actually allows you to at least master the money game and you finally get yourself to that million and you've made the money, then you actually are left with an itch to scratch the soul, but you have at least a sort of fuel that can actually help you get into these different things that will scratch the soul because the money thing's been figured out as opposed to going towards the mission without figuring the money you're just left with complaining like you 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 don't have actually any of the fuel to make a difference because you still need to go and master the money thing and that's why for me i almost feel that going for figuring out the money is the first step so that you can actually have something to go and scratch the soul once you get to that point but at the same time. I don't know if there's anything wrong with chasing the money first because it seems to be one path, but again, not so black and white. I'd be curious to know if you feel the same.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, how much do you think it took to finance the mission of Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa, you know, to travel them around the world with security, et cetera? (laughs) Yeah, it would have cost many millions to travel them around the world to fulfill their global mission. So I 100% agree with you that money is fuel or energy or the ability to finance the mission. I used to be an artist and when I was broke, I couldn't even afford the paint and the canvas. And you know, let's say you want, you know, you've got um, some good headphones there and a decent microphone. I can see that you, you know, you've, hired, you've got your own studio and I believe you've hired this one where you're in. So you know, there's a commercial element to your creative art Andy Warhol said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, great business is great art and great art is great business. So um, money is the greatest lever for you to achieve your mission. And because a mission is often national or global, or at least at the community level, and often often it's long-term, in the short term, go and make the money, because once you've got your own overheads figured out, what you now have is time because you can buy time or sell time. And you sell time when you're earning and you can buy time when you are traveling, writing, teaching, educating. And so, you know, I don't wanna sell my time anymore. I want to be able to buy time so that I can achieve the mission. But yeah, I mean, my mission, for it to achieve a, a global impact. It's going to involve me traveling around the world. And I'd rather travel in a private jet than on a, um, you know, a, a rubber dinghy, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I can ride on the plane and, and leverage that time better. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, calling money fuel, I, th- I think is a great way of putting it because you can buy a nice car, but you can't do anything with that car without fuel. I would even call it rocket fuel um you know because of you know the the importance of it like if you think of, of humanity and the great inventions the wheel has to be one of them penicillin has to be one of them money has to be one of them i, I mean uh, the the author of sapiens says that money is the greatest story humanity has ever told Ie, I have this thing. It's worth $100. It's actually not. It's worth virtually nothing. But I've made you believe it's worth $100. And this can fuel your dream. And that's an amazing invention. It has downsides. Um, but I think, you know, just to summarize, I love the way you called money fuel, because that's, that's what it is. You mentor people through that foundation of yours, and you're
0: really trying to help a lot of entrepreneurs who are maybe in more, uh, less fortunate situations, maybe at their early stages. And I'd be curious to know, what's your response when someone's like, hey, I'm trying to find the most amount of success in the most comfortable way possible?
1: Hmm, Um, yeah, the way people articulate that, I've never heard anyone say that, but what they often say is, what's the easiest way to make money? And so i always ask i always say to them that's the wrong question you should ask what's the best way to make money or how do you make money for the long term so i definitely i mean i learned this from an american compatriot tony robbins the quality of your life is defined by the quality of your questions so i can always tell the mindset someone is in by the questions that they ask and i i just try to reframe them and get them to ask a different question now People, I found with people, if you tell them where to go, there's friction and resistance. But if if you guide them to ask better questions, which leads them where you or they want to go, there's less resistance because they're owning the journey. So if someone said to me, how do I make money the quickest? I would say, have you ever thought to ask, how do you make money the best? Or have you ever thought to ask, how do you make money for the long term? Instead of saying, that's a stupid question or you, um, which a lot of people do, because, you know, there's a lot of influencers and sellers out there that um, I I think push the line of pain and challenge into shame. And, you, you know, you see this a lot in, you know, people who follow people like Andrew Tate, who's, you know, Andrew Tate is always angry and always in pain, and he uses it as a as a fuel to be successful. But it makes his style very direct and 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 it almost elicits shame. Now, shame is a great motivator to move forward. Don't get me wrong. It's not all downside. But um, it's not the only tool to get people to move forward. And, and personally, now you know a bit more about me and my past, you know, shame, it, for me, it, it's not the best way to move, you know, getting people comfortable with being uncomfortable, I find more effective than shame.
0: Good for that, man. And uh, thank you for opening up on, the, on your own limitations because I, I could relate so much to that. I've also been more on the people pleaser side. Hey, you're talking to the guy who's saying actually the best emotion is love. And I do feel that that's the best way to move people. I would agree with you. Shame is kind of like a, call it a uh, non-renewable energy. Like it's got a lot of fuel, but at some point you're gonna burn the planet down. Mm regardless of your stance on that issue. Um, but overall, Rob, I really like the values that you communicate. I really love everything that you stand for. So I'm so excited that we have to have this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. I'm such a fan now that I've got to discover your work. And there's one thing I always ask my guests when they come on my show, that you are on the Selling With Love podcast. So I'd be curious to know, what does Selling With Love mean to you?
1: Yeah, I thought about that quite a lot. Um, you know, it. I don't like to prepare too much for interviews. I like to answer in the moment. Um, So I don't like to see the questions, but um, I did think about your concept and what that means. Um, It's probably got me thinking more than any other title of a podcast. So in some ways, everything we do is an expression of love because we live according to our highest values. And, you know, I teach people thinking about their values around money. For example, let's say that a mother's highest values is her children. She'll spend money on her children and that's an expression of her love. So money is the tool that's expressing the love. And so selling done well is an expression of love. So for me, my highest values would be growth and progress and you know, I love the trappings that money and success bring, and I accept the downsides that they bring. And so me running training companies and being on podcasts and creating content around it is an expression of my highest values. Therefore, you could argue is an expression of love. Now, where people might disagree is they go, well, I don't see that as love. That's just because they have a different set of values and they're judging people on their own values, not their own. Now, of course, you can sell without love because you can sell products and services you don't believe in. And, you know, sometimes when people say, oh, well, you know, you've got to believe in the product. I think, yeah, 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 I get that. But it is true. That is the foundation, because if, if you can't. If you don't believe in what you're selling, you're selling against your values, not for your values. Therefore, you're not expressing love. Um. Love and gratitude are probably the two transcendent human emotions. So I don't know that I can fully answer the question, what does selling with love mean? Because at the same time, um, if I'm too much focused on love and not focused on taking the, the client from comfort to discomfort and love becomes soft and I'm giving too big a discount and I'm giving my products away to get testimonials because I haven't learned to value myself. Because here's the thing, if, if you're undercharging, there's a lack of love for yourself and your own self-worth. So it's definitely one that's challenged me to think. I, I don't think I've answered in a linear way. I think I've answered in a very nebulous way. But selling should be an expression of love because if you link your highest values with your career and you love what you do and you do what you love, Then selling what you love is an expression of love,
0: brother. We started this talking about non binary, and I think when I ask a question, you can't answer it with a singular because there's so much nuance and context as you've highlighted throughout the sessions we had today. This was a fantastic conversation, Rob, and I'd agree with you because you know I go more in depth in my book about selling with love because there's a lot of different loves, and you know, if one of those is a a, a stool that is missing a leg, then yeah, there's going to be some negative repercussions around that. But honestly, what a fantastic conversation. We got to talk about You know, what we need to pay attention to when we're getting any kind of financial advice. What is the context? How information on the internet is not so black and white. We really have to take care of the nuances because that's usually where the right information will be distilled to what is right for you. Pay attention to the people who are on a path of where you want to go. And I will make a little disclaimer, Rob, it sounds like you are a few steps ahead of me, so I'm going to have my laser focus on your journey because i feel like you're really on the right path i'm inspired by what you're doing i'm excited with what you shared and i'm so glad that we had you on the show to come and share with my audience so thank you so much for your time and of course for everybody tuning in be sure to go check out the disruptors podcast tons of amazing book from rob we'll put some links in the show notes you can pick that up and of course as you follow him on all the social that exciting book that we got an extract of today will be coming out next year you'll be the first ones to pick it up because i know you guys are the best Rob, once again, thank you for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. For everyone else, keep selling with love.